Welcome to the Fit and Free with AIM podcast. I'm your host, Amy Louise. By listening to this podcast, you'll gain clarity and apply now principles in relation to training, nutrition, and mindset, all designed to help you build a strong and lean physique and show up as your best self. If you're a woman who struggles with excessive behaviors when it comes to training and food and think of yourself as a perfectionist, I hear you, I see you, I was you. And I know that you're in exactly the right place to change that narrative and build a body you love inside and out. Let's go. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the podcast. If you're new, thank you so much for joining me. And if you are a returning listener or viewer on YouTube, thank you so much for your support. I really appreciate it. As always, if you love this episode, please, please tag me, give it a share on your social medias. It really helps get the word out about the podcast and in doing so, hopefully we can level up everyone's results. This episode is going to be all about the things that I've changed my mind on in the last six months. Now, if you have listened before, you'll know I call myself a woman of nuance. I don't subscribe to being black or white, and I don't think that that is necessarily a intelligent position to take on literally anything because life is so nuanced and there are so many different things, especially in the fitness world that might work for one person and that do not work for another and everything in between. And so to consistently say that you're a black and white coach or you are black and white with your methods, I actually think that says more about you not being a great coach because all of the great coaches I know, uh, not only are they open to new evidence, not only are they open to being proven wrong, not only are they open to changing their mind, but they're also really vocal about it. So you'll often hear the the best coaches say, look, in this circumstance, I think this, in this context, I think that uh, we tried this and it didn't work. And so we're going to try this next time rather than being, you know, super commando or like any of the dietary zealots we see who are like, you must eat carnivore, you must go keto, you must quit sugar, all of these things, they are probably way easier to sell when you can get people, when you can engage people's sense of tribalism. But I think in terms of building well-rounded humans and helping people get the best results, not only on the outside in terms of, say, physique and performance, but helping people in their groundedness in, in terms of their mentality, I think that nuance is really, really important. And I know personally, as a coach to multiple women, it's very important for me to stay open-minded. And I love working collaboratively with my clients. So not all clients are there yet because they're still in the beginner stage and they don't, they don't know what tools are available. But for my more intermediate clients who are starting to understand the tools that are available to them, I really love it when they say, hey, Aim, we've been doing this and I also know that this other tool exists. Can we try this and see how this works? And it's really important for me and I mean for them, for their own autonomy to have a say in what we do, but it is really important for me as a coach to stay open-minded and just say something didn't work personally for me. It 
absolutely does not mean it's not going to work for everyone. I've seen this firsthand and I've just seen so many women across so many different parts of their journey to know that there needs to be a degree of humbleness or modesty is not the right word, but just it's just open-mindedness to and even letting people experiment and play around with something. If I think something might not work, I can definitely point out the positives of trying, the negatives of trying, what I I have seen in my experience with clients, but also letting people get in and have a go because I do believe we also learn a lot from our own experiences. So that's really my position on why you'll often hear me say that I am, I live in the gray a lot and I'm a woman of nuance. I just believe in terms of getting my client, my client's results, it's the best way to approach things. So what are we going to talk about today? We're going to talk about cheat days. We're going to talk about reverse dieting. We're going to talk about flexibility and we're going to talk about social media in comparison. All very, very juicy things. Now, I do want to say as I go through each of these topics, I, as usual, have zero notes except for the those words that I read out. I've got them written down so I didn't miss any, but I have zero notes and I haven't really um, yeah, formulated any specific structure to go through this. But what I will do is kind of try and balance out what I think the arguments are for these topics, what I think the arguments are against. I'll explain how I change my mind and where I'm at. And like I just said before, we're always leaving the door open for me to change my mind about these in another six months, 12 months, 10 years, who knows? Uh, but with the intention of, again, it's purely the intention of assisting you, the listener, to get the best results that you possibly can by potentially widening your perspective where potentially it was closed off. And you might already be meeting me where I'm at with some of these. And otherwise, you might also have your own ideas about them broadened as well, which would be my hope. So let's get into cheat days, first of all. So with cheat days is something that I've been extremely vocal about being against for a long time, many, many years. I've got plenty of social media posts talking about why it's so toxic to call eating off plan, if we call it that, um, or, you know, yeah, eating off, we'll call it eating off plan. Uh, because I was always of the opinion that like cheat, the word cheat has such a negative connotation. And we're always talking about nutrition when we talk about cheat days. And I don't want morality to come anywhere near any of my clients or any of anywhere near my audience's thoughts about nutrition. There's just no room for morality in my in my mind when it comes to cheat days. I'd rather it be more so like um more so about i guess the physiological impacts of eating certain food the social impacts of eating certain foods um enjoyment pleasure all of those things rather than like i'm a good person for eating this way or i'm a better person than these other people if i eat this way or i'm a bad person and that's where i think that the word cheat starts to play and doesn't have a role doesn't have an, a helpful role Okay, so I think first things first is to say where I've changed my mind, and this will make sense once I start talking about it. I've recently been listening to a podcast where 
we're talking about the top male bodybuilders in the world and it's like the actual bodybuilding category not any other category I hope you're enjoying the episode so far. I just wanted to take a quick break to let you know how you can work with me. I currently have places available inside the Glam Body Program. And if you don't know what it is, this is my completely personalized programming, nutrition, and education online coaching service that is specifically designed to help women get strong and progress their body composition, whether that means gaining muscle, getting lean, or both. So Glam Body is best suited for two types of women. The first loves training, but you've never had a your programming or nutrition tailored to you. Perhaps you're just doing classes or using apps, but you do want more efficient results and you want to learn more about your body. Or perhaps you have had some element of assistance before, but you're still struggling with overtraining, undereating, speaking negatively to yourself, and you feel like nothing's enough, and you just want to be able to make physique and performance progress without burning the candle at both ends. So to get your spot, just DM me on Instagram with the heading Glam Body, or you can fill out the application form that is linked in the show notes below, and we can have a chat about whether Glam Body is a good fit for you. With that said, let's get back into the episode. So these guys are, I don't know what this is in kilos, but I believe they're they're like 280 to 90, 300 pounds. That's a lot. These, these guys are huge. So like, like the best in the world, um, when you think of bodybuilding and think of the men on the magazine covers, like this is the bodies I'm talking about, right? Now, these guys will, a lot of them will often use the word cheat meals or they don't say cheat days, I don't think. It's more often cheat meals. And it makes total sense for this very small specific subset of the population. And the reason why is it's always strategic. So these guys are making their living from being, most of them are making their living from being bodybuilders. Um, there's cash prize money for winning and the, the the male bodybuilders do get a good amount of money. I believe, is he Arnold like 200 or $300,000 if you win that show? For, for them only, I think the women, it's like bikini competitors. Look, I'm, I'm probably going to stuff this up. I've got a feeling the female bikini competitors is like $20,000 as prize money and uh, not going to get into the ins and outs and whys of that. But the reason being that these men will talk about having cheap meals is still pretty damn extremely strategic. So these guys are the epitome of living like the quote unquote bodybuilding lifestyle year round. They have ridiculous work ethics. They are very single minded. If you were to, you know, think about them, we're talking like, yes, they're ingesting copious amounts of calories per day, but you would say that they're they're so strict in their routines and behaviors and the kinds of foods that they eat because this is their livelihood and it's really hard for bodies to stay that big and that lean it's like it's it's very very hard you know hardly anyone can do it again we're looking at the best in the world right and the reason why these men include cheat meals is to get in enough calories um, to be able to sustain whatever their you know phases that they're in at any given time. Sometimes they're using them during their 
prep periods. Sometimes they're using them during their improvement season periods, but it makes total sense. It's still a strategic use of um, calories coming in, massive amounts of calories coming in, right? It's never really, they don't ever really talk about it having like cheat days as even a psychological thing. I think that they're just so advanced in terms of their their athletic ability and their mindsets are so focused that the context in in which they're using this terminology is really like it's helping me be a better athlete. So as you can see, this is an extremely small percentage of the population that I think it makes sense for. And it's like, there I just can't find an argument against a cheat meal terminology for those people. Like it, it's, you know, it's, it makes total sense. It's an off plan meal. So they don't have the, the pizza or the hamburgers or, or, you know, it's probably be multiple pizzas or hamburgers or thick shakes or whatever. That's not scheduled into like their baseline diets that they have every single week. So it is an off plan meal, but it's not a, it's not a binge. It's not on the fly. It's very, very much accounted for and is specifically designed to help them. So for average Joe like us who are listening and who isn't uh, 150 kilos at, you know, what, 4% body fat, 5% body fat or whatever, um, what is the closest comparison to that cheat meal? Well, we would call that a, a refeed and refeeds are very specifically designed to, again, either assist the person's physique or potentially, potentially sometimes psychological, although we would probably tend to call a psychological boost maybe a diet break instead of a refeed. Diet breaks are tending to longer periods of time. So it could be, say, you could diet break someone for the terminology is more so like maybe a week or a little bit longer than that, whereas refeeds are typically between one and three days. Typically also refeeds will usually be more so mostly carbohydrates, but we did something with myself just recently, um, just practicing some peak week protocols and then during peak week where we did one day at surplus calories, one day at maintenance calories, and we did increase fats by a little bit by it was 10 grams of fat extra on each day. But my fats were very, very, very low, um, half of what they are now. And we mostly shuttled all of the rest of those calories uh, into carbohydrates. Okay, so typically refeeds will be that one to three days. Typically, it's probably going to be almost all carbohydrates as well. And the thing that they share with those bodybuilding cheat meals is it's still extremely strategic it's it's all planned and the numbers are all planned and accounted for and like i said for me we did a day of a surplus and a day at maintenance calories estimated for both of them of course you can only really ever estimate Uh, but yeah very very specific and i stuck to foods that i was eating that i knew sat well with my digestion it's very important and again we're doing this to try and what they call peak my physique. Peaking a physique is basically trying to pull off as much fatigue, which can lead to water retention and inflammation that can make a physique look a bit off and get a physique looking the best we can possibly get it to look on a stage day. 
And if you've done a peak properly, you won't have to do very much at all for a peak. You get the person lean enough so that potentially you're just adding a little bit of food in to help them fill up their muscle glycogen stores, give them a bit, bit of pop and help, hopefully help them look healthier on stage. <laughs> and that's why. So I hope that helps a little bit. Where have I seen the cheat day, cheat meal thing be abused? And this is where I still don't agree with it. So I don't know if you're going to know who I'm talking about and I'm not going to name them, but there was a very, very, very popular, she's still extremely popular fitness influencer who I have gray thoughts on. Like there are some things I think she's done well. There are some things I think that she could do better. But she very much popularized just mass amounts of overconsuming. Unfortunately for her, it came out. I don't know if she ever admitted to having an eating disorder, but definitely disordered eating, definitely underweight. And she did a series on YouTube really popularizing basically in the vicinity of eight to 10,000 calories a day. And she was saying she was doing those three times a month because she couldn't satiate herself otherwise. And she sort of held it out to be like this, not a, not a problem, nothing wrong. And she, you know, labeled, put the label of science all over it. Um, and then a few years later came out and said, actually, this was because I was restricting my food during the week and on the days that you're not watching, uh, under eating, staying too lean for too long. And she had to go the other way and ended up doing what's called an all-in diet where literally no rules, eat to complete satiation every day. I think she was saying she was eating between 3,000 to 5,000 calories every day. And it took a number of months for her to have her hunger signals regulated again. Uh, And she seems to be in a much, much better place now. Those videos, unfortunately, are all still up, all of the cheat day videos. And it's just copious amounts of food. Like I said, like eight to 10,000 calories. Uh, There were, you know, I believe higher days as well. And it was kind of made out like, There was no issue with that. And I remember talking to some clients at the time that these videos were going live and they were like, oh my God, she's so amazing. She's so lean and she can eat this much food. And it's really horrible and heart-wrenching to hear that because my my clients were comparing themselves to someone who was engaging in disordered eating, if not had an eating disorder, wasn't showing you all of the restricted eating habits she was engaging in on all of the other days of the month or the week. And yeah, it's really, really sad. It's really, really sad. And the thing is for this this YouTuber, she, you know, she was in the midst of her own disorder. Um, so it's not to say I don't, you know, it's not to say she was intentionally trying to harm. I, I imagine she was trying to psychologically process what was happening to her at that time. So I have, you know, empathy for that. It's un, it's just unfortunate of the negative impact that would have had on a lot of women. Now there are a lot of women that, that say that that helped because it helped them lose the idea of good good foods, bad foods. It helped them just eat to satiety for once instead of having so many rules. So again, I'm, I'm doing a little bit of the, you know, this side of the fence argument, that side of the fence argument, just so you have a well-rounded idea of, of this topic. But yeah, it was just really hard hearing, you know, I specifically remember this conversation on the gym floor with this client who was kind of upset that she couldn't eat 10,000 calories a day. And it's like, if you get to the point where you are able to rid yourself of 
all of your food rules and you've got a healthy sense of body image, your desire to consume, to overconsume food completely goes away. And if you're listening to this and you're like still the person who was like, I wish I could eat six donuts. I wish I could eat this. I wish I could eat 3000 calories a day. I would really ask your, I would really ask you to have a look at all of the food rules you still have and start trying to knock them away one by one. Because trust me, when you've gotten rid of all of them, the desire there is, the desire to overconsume is gone. You just don't care. Like it doesn't, you don't think of it anymore. And you might be able to relate this to areas of your life where you've made massive amounts of improvement. You know, maybe it was like, as a teenager, you're in a really toxic relationship and you thought that um, people, someone treating you poorly was a sign of affection. Now you've grown and you're out of that and you have a, an amazing partner who's supportive and you're like, holy hell, you know, back in that time, I thought that that's what I needed, but now I realize that, you know, I needed something different and maybe I was scared to be seen or scared to be loved. And, and you've seen that growth in yourself. It's the same thing with food. <laughs> so, just just want to say you know if you're still feeling significantly restricted and still have this like oh I wish I could eat more I wish you could I could eat chocolate I wish I could eat this or I wish I could could eat that just ask yourself what are you have you got a rule that you can't have you got a rule that if you gain weight you're a bad person or if you eat this you you know your whole world's going to collapse or if you don't look like this you know bad things are going to happen and just to tease that out so Final word on cheat days or cheat meals. I think that if we're strategically increasing calories, go for it. If you have to call something a cheat day to make it sit well with you, just question where you're at with your food rules. Why can't you just include these foods, you know, most days of the week in moderation and then it doesn't have to be called a cheat, right? You're just a normal human living, living life. Um, when we start giving these labels, it just it just makes me really curious as to why. So, for example, if you're going to go out and have a burger with your partner, does that really need to be labeled a cheat day? Can it, can't it just be I'm just eating dinner with my partner and we're going out, right? Um, it makes sense, I think, for male bodybuilders or even anyone who is struggling to maintain or gain weight. Like, I get it. I don't think for that person it has any negative connotation whatsoever. It can have a fun connotation. Who knows? But there is a subsect of the population who I think it makes sense. By definition, we understand what they're trying to, what they what they mean when they say it. And, you know, it's for a fairly strategic reason. So that's what I wanted to say on that. The next topic that I wanted to look at was reverse dieting and recovery dieting. So I think that if you're not in the competing world, when you hear reverse dieting, I'm not sure what you think, but you might think of sitting at maintenance and trying to increase your calorie intake um, because you're, the calories you're consuming are, sorry, I've said that wrong. When you're thinking about reverse dieting, you could be thinking of increasing your calories slowly to improve your metabolic rate to be able to consume more at maintenance. That was a massive mouthful. But often when I hear reverse dieting in social media world, and I'm trying to put myself in the seat of my clients as best as possible, I think they might think of like, hmm, 
it doesn't look like my metabolism is functioning quite where it should should do um let's try and you know slowly increase my calories a little bit to to increase my maintenance intake right in a competitive sense it's been used or even i think it was 2012 fish 2012 to 2015 reverse dieting gained a lot of popularity when it came to just general population so that means non-competitors um, and f- coming out of a fat loss phase. So it was very much popularized that you go into a deficit and then you slowly reverse diet your way back up to maintenance. Okay. Now, um, for competitors, it's also been used in the same way. So at the end of the comp prep, you're, you're very lean and you have often tanked your food right down. And it's about rather than really quickly gaining weight, it was popularized to again, just slowly increase your food. Often when people are thinking about reverse dieting, they're thinking of increasing their food by, say, an extra 100 calories a day, um, but only doing those jumps maybe once once a week or twice a week. So just say I end my competitive deficit on 1,000 calories. Once the competition ends, I'd go to 1,100, do that for seven days. Then uh, week two, 1,200, do that for seven days. It's a slow and painful process. Now, what's the other uh, approach that can be used well this is called a recovery diet and again this came from the bodybuilding world so the recovery diet is either as soon as your show finishes either going straight to your new anticipated maintenance which will be a little bit less than when you started your comp prep because you're lighter um, or even a small surplus just to help wash off um pull off stress to help gain body fat fairly rapidly to help with any negative hormonal adaptations um, and to just try and get a person feeling better and recovered. That's why we call it the recovery uh, recovery diet. So this concept has come from the bodybuilding world. Now, in terms of like a general population fat loss phase, um, you're not going to be getting a person down so low. Well, fucking hopefully, you're not going to be getting a person down so low in their um, body fat levels as to cause you know this onslaught of pretty nasty hormonal adaptations that we get when when someone is so low. You, they're also in a massively compromised p- position to build muscle, and if you're a bodybuilder, you know that is your bread and butter. Building muscle is called bodybuilding, right? Um, but it has been used for general population, um, again, just non-competitors coming out of a fat loss phase. And the arguments for reverse dieting and why I did, I've used it with clients before. Okay. So I'm not saying that I'm perfect, but I've used this with clients before and it's where, so just say, I can't even pull out calorie numbers out of my head because it's just so different for everyone. But just say we've got a female down to 20% body fat. So still super healthy body fat, you know, no hormonal negative hormonal adaptations will happen for a lot of women at 20%. Um, lower than that, we might start getting them, but usually for 20%, they're lean for sure. Absolutely lean. They're going to look lean, but we shouldn't have run into any problems at that point. Um, and to be fair, their maintenance might only be an extra 300 calories. Hell, sometimes it can be way more than that, but they actually might not be too far off their maintenance by the end of a fairly conservative and maybe longer fat loss phase. Um, so it could only take, you know, 
two, three, four weeks for them to get up to their new anticipated maintenance phase if we did say that extra 100 calories a week. But effectively, what are we doing? Effectively, we're still in a deficit. (laughs) Until we reach that maintenance calorie intake, the person is still in a deficit. So you're just prolonging the time that they're potentially coming up against, you know, any negative adaptations, if there's any food focus, feelings of restriction, Um, And again, they're not going to be making muscle growth progress in those four weeks. You've just lost an extra, you know, three or four weeks. And again, I have done this with clients and I'll talk to you about why. The reason why I used to subscribe to this and have done reverse dieting with my clients out of a fat loss phase is I was thinking about their psychology and thinking about if they see that initial scale weight increase that comes with going from a fat loss phase, increasing calories into maintenance. It's not going to be body fat because we're at, ma- like, we're at maintenance. We're not into a surplus, but it's going to be increased food volume in their ju- digestive tract. It is going to be increased water. It is going to be increased amounts of sodium, and it is going to be increased carbohydrates stored within their muscles in terms of muscle glycogen. So for all of those reasons, even though you're still at your maintenance intake, um, you definitely are going to see a small scale weight increase just to account for all of those things that I just said. And I knew that these women that I chose to do a reverse diet with would have panicked and thought that was fat gain no matter what I was going to say. And I explained to them what we were doing. I explained to them, you know, this is what the process is. So I wasn't hiding it. I definitely explained why we're doing it and that I thought it would benefit them psychologically. And they all agreed and said, yes, I think that's the best approach. And to be fair with you, I actually never had any negative issues with any of the women that we decided to do that reverse diet with. But was it necessary or was I being far too concerned of their psychology Uh, probably and was that because of my own personal experience of gaining 12 kilos in eight weeks um, and just knowing the psychological impact of feeling like the scale weight's going up um, too fast yes it was and I've learned my lesson now I don't need to treat my clients with you know like wrapping them in cotton wool I need to explain the both sides or, you know, I need to explain what I'm doing so then they can say, yes, Amy, I'd like to do this or yes, Amy, I'd like to do that. That's all I need to do. I don't need to wrap anyone up in cotton wool. Um, and I don't need to project my own personal experiences onto any of my clients. That's not helpful in any way, shape or form. But look, you learn, you know, this was in my first two, three years as a coach. Okay. I'm now what, six and a half years in. So I've learned. Um, but I, up until recently, I would still have left the option open to reverse diet someone. I'm not going to say I'm never going to do it, but it just doesn't seem relevant anymore. It just not relevant. It just doesn't seem useful in any way, shape or form. Why would I prolong someone's deficit? Um, We can just get them straight back to maintenance. I just need to explain what's going to happen. Let them hear that. Go, you know what? Yep, it's going to be fine. I'd rather feel better sooner anyway. And we just, you know, go back to anticipated maintenance. It's the easiest way to do. And for a lot of the women that I'm coaching, we're not far off anyway. Like they don't end the deficit so, so, so drastically low that their new maintenance is going to be crazy. You know, it's 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 almost never a full thousand calories up, right? Um, maybe it's 500, maybe it's 600, but that's probably it. Um, so that's what I wanted to say on that. Now, what about reverse dieting in terms of building someone's calories up who has been perhaps 
sticking to low calories and then overeating, um, that's a different story. So this isn't getting someone to a fat loss phase and then slowly transitioning them out of a deficit. So that's what I was just talking about. If someone comes to me, they're still got lot. They still have lots of uh, rules and restrictions when it comes to food. Um, they've been, say, tracking their food or quantifying it. And the num, you know, when I plug their numbers in, they're it's seemingly like they're under eating compared to their maintenance, and yet they're either maintaining their weight or gaining. It usually tells me there's a some kind of not binge restrict cycle because I don't, um, I'm not qualified, and I don't deal. Or I don't, um, I don't assist with binge eating. That is for a registered dietitian to help with. And the clients, I've I've had a few clients who have eating disorders, and they're always being looked after through um, a support team of psychologists and dietitians. But if we do have someone engaging in, I would call it um, disordered eating, not eating disorder <laughs> behavior where it's like they're trying to undereat and then overeating, or there's still those food rules happening. Um, and overeating is very different to binge eating. Overeating might be you've just hit you know surplus calories, which is very different to like smashing 10,000 calories, being physically sick and continuing to do that week after week for months, right? It's very different to just overeating. Everyone, like most of us will overeat certain times, Christmas Day, birthdays, whatever. You know, you're like, fuck, this tastes amazing. You don't realize there's 3,000 calories <laughs> and you have it. And like, yeah, you know, you might, you might have to unbutton your the top button of your pants, but that's as far as it goes. Um, yeah, so reverse dieting in terms of helping someone increase their um, metabolic rate, uh, that is absolutely something that has a place to be done um, as well. Uh, but that I think that it's important to differentiate those two. They're, very, they're two very different um, things that are both called reverse dieting. So one of them, like I said, was what you do after someone's finished a fat loss phase. I don't think that there's a place for reverse dieting. I think recovery dieting, even for average Joe, just taking them straight back to maintenance is the smartest thing to do. But then the other situation is potentially someone who's just, yeah, struggling a little bit with food rules and stuff, not necessarily coming out of a deficit, might even be gaining weight. Um, but we decide to slowly increase their, their daily intake anyway, just to give them perhaps more freedom and flexibility and increase their um, metabolic rate that's what we're going to do with them and yeah totally fine with that all right i can't believe we're 30 minutes in already the next topic is flexibility and this is something that has specifically come to my attention in my own reflections with my comp prep and with my improvement season and i spoke about this i think on a youtube video but i don't think i've spoken about in the podcast but um, you probably you probably know from some of the titles on my podcast if you haven't listened to them but I struggled for many, many years. I didn't really remedy things until I was 30 um, in terms of really poor body image, really poor eating habits, never diagnosed with an eating disorder, um, but disordered eating absolutely, yes, for, yeah, up until I was about 29, 30. So a lot of shit. And what happened to me was I really remedied all of it within about a six month span back in 2017 and came away with really strong body image so much so that I'm always laughing about my meat suit and how I am happy gaining weight, happy getting into a surplus, happy doing a deficit, happy being at maintenance. Um, I find a lot of joy in like um, the aesthetic side of recomping 
doing whatever. Um, I love my training performance goals. I'm always trying to continually progress my training. I have a lot of fun. Um, and in terms of food flexibility and rules, they're all gone. Now, what happened was <laughs> I also decided in um, the start of 2021 that I wanted to compete again. And the thing with competing is you need to be pretty structured, pretty um, accurate, not pretty, really accurate. You need to train really hard and you need to be very spot on with your food and making sure you're fueling yourself for you know extremely high levels of performance and allowing you to recover. But what I found, which was hilarious, is that because there was no desperation about me anymore in terms of my physique and all of the food rules were gone, I wasn't hitting the standard that I need to because it's not that I didn't care. I just wasn't desperate. I was like, this is fun. And that's that, you know, it was just fun. Um, so I found myself being super flexible with my food intake, like, and this is, you know, during lockdown, I, I engaged in some habits that my accountant wasn't very happy with that included, you know, Uber eating three, four, five times a week. Can you believe it? Um, I just sort of just didn't want to go to the shops anymore. And so I was, yeah, just getting, I was getting coffees delivered. Like what? This is so ridiculous. But yeah, crazy amounts of food flexibility. Um, in terms of my body image, I did an episode a couple ago talking about my body image and how I saw myself. I love how I look now. I loved how I looked uh, with an extra 10 kilos on my physique. Like I just really, really happy. And it yeah, it's just so weird to say, but with competitive pursuits, I, and I, I've done a YouTube on this as well. I was just struggling to be, I guess, strict or as accurate as I needed to be to support my performance and physique goals. And it really didn't dawn on me till I think it was about 10 weeks out from my show. Um, but that's when the real competitive component kicked in for me and it like lit a fire that I haven't felt in so many years. Um, and I loved it and I'm loving it and the fire is still here and I'm really, really excited for it. But what it showed me was like the flexibility that I had gained and the healthy body image and the amazing relationship with food that I've built is absolutely fantastic when I don't have, um, competitive goals as just a average Joe walking around fucking well done, Amy, you, you did amazing, um, and that was fantastic, but that same way of just being pretty chill, flexible with everything, you know, um, that's not going to fly when it comes to wanting to win that overall bikini title. <laughs> and yeah, it didn't dawn on me till about 10 weeks before the show. And I was like, holy shit, you know, I did not make the most of my improvement season because I was so relaxed and so chill and just, you know, not really caring about anything. Um, and I think it was really, I think it's been really good that that happened because it showed my growth in terms of my body image and my, my, f um, food intake. But yeah, it just, it's not where the standard needs to be if it's, um, if I'm going for competitive goals. So what I wanted to say with flexibility and how I've changed my mind, I would often talk about flexibility being extremely important. And I do think it is, but where the nuance is with this topic is that if you have competitive goals and it doesn't have to be competitive aesthetic goals, it could be um, 
powerlifting, it could be netball, it could be soccer, whatever your sporting goals are. And again, there are levels, right, for people. Like you might be hearing this and maybe you just play, you know, casual seniors tennis on a Sunday with the old birds. Um, and then, you you know, you have uh, tea and biscuits at 3 p.m. with them. This is a true story. This is something I used to do. Um, and, you know, your, your performance goals don't really matter too much. So you can go out the night before and have some drinks. It doesn't matter. But then there are those of you who are listening who might be like going for, you know, you might be on the state team for netball or you might be going for a hockey grand final or you might be in a palleting comp going for a record um, or none of those things, but your performance is just really fucking important to you and making pro progress is really important, then actually, yes, we have to turn the flexibility dial down to an extent. The extent should always be something you're completely comfortable with. Um, I never want to suggest that you need to engage in levels of flexibility that aren't fun. I really think the fun component is important. And for me, this competitive side of me has really come out and flourished and it's a lot of fun and I love it. But the degree of accuracy, the degree of training effort and intensity that I have to put in, the way I need to manage sleep right now um, so I can recover properly, and the way I need to quantify or take note of my food intake, all of these things, are. it's really important that I've turned the dial up on those things purely because I have a competitive pursuit that is more than just getting on stage. I want to win an overall, the national overall title, which is going to take a fucking lot. It's going to take a lot of effort. It's going to take a lot of um, discipline. It's going to take a lot of days. It's going to take a lot of muscle mass growth. And um, I need to pay the price for that, which is reducing my level of flexibility. Okay. And I think it's really important that we just be honest with ourselves with like um, what level of flexibility feels good to me and allows me to get the results I want. And again, the results can be anything, aesthetics, performance, health, whatever you name it, right? Um, But it's really thinking about flexibility, again, just in terms of a dial and where are we willing to, where are we willing to sit? And are we happy with the results that's giving us? So I'll just give you a little bit of an example too. I'm in a recovery phase at the moment. It is really important to me that I am exactly on point with my food. Um, I'm eating a little bit over maintenance calories, so I'm not um, underfed at all. But um, in terms of flexibility, I have given myself some rules, which is 300 grams of fruit and 350 grams of veg every single day, hit my protein target. Once I've ticked off all of those things, then I can include fun food. So I have like some chocolate every single day um, and I've been having like, you know, a donut or a biscuit once once a week. Um, I think I had su- I've had sushi twice since show day. Um, I had like a fruit pro pizza last night though it was fucking terrible I'm never doing that again um but yeah that's the that's how I'm incorporating flexibility right now so usually I wouldn't even be thinking in my off season honestly not even really thinking about numbers at all did I loosely track I don't know maybe once every three months I plug some things into my phone um but that's just not going to cut it when it comes to my goals right now so it's like the way that I am I'm in in, um, incorporating flexibility is just setting myself the fruit, veg, and protein targets. So that's looking after my most of my micronutrients and my you know my health and my protein. So my muscle mass is all being looked after. 
And then with that, I'm incorporating a little bit of like what I feel is fun foods. Um, There are other people who wouldn't do any of that in an off season. Um, There are some people who would give themselves way more leeway in an off season. But again, we're looking at genetics. We're looking at competitive desires. We're looking at, you know, how much muscle mass do they already have? I'm really starting at the bottom in terms of my muscle mass. So I have to work hard. And, you know, in future off seasons, maybe I can have even more flexibility than that. But what I wanted to say with flexibility is it's not a one size fits all. It's a dial that we can turn up and turn down. And you just got to think like, if I'm unhappy with the results that I got, so me with my improvement season last time, and I had, you know, 80% flexibility, maybe I have to decrease that a little bit, be a little bit more strict to get those results that I really want. Is the process overall still fun? Yes. Am I enjoying myself? Yes. Tick, 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 tick. Okay, so the final one is I want to talk about social media and comparison because I've had this drop in two big ways twice, once in 2018 in a business sense and just recently in terms of like a character trait sense. And what I want to say with social media is, and I'm not sure if this thought has already occurred to you or not, but when people talk about themselves, they're talking through the lens of their own specific perspective. So when you're hearing me talk about myself and me talk about my clients, of course, it's through my own lens of all of my history, everything that's come before me, everything that I've seen and experienced. And that's how I'm viewing any communications from my clients. That's how I'm viewing myself. Um, and that's how I'm viewing what's happening on social media. And same is for you. Now, we, we, we just have no control over how other people perceive us. It's completely impossible. Again, you're the only person who has had your specific set of experiences, right? And if I say I am so proud of how I've conducted myself in the last two weeks and I've done everything on point, I know what I mean when I say that. The way you perceive what I have just said, I have no fucking idea. You might think that I have tracked to the gram my calories, my protein, my fats, and my carbs because that's what you would interpret those words that came out of my mouth to mean. Have I done that? No. Have I been within um, you know, three to five grams of each? To be fair with you, yeah, I have, okay? But for some people, they'll be like, oh, that's not as perfect as I thought she meant when she said she's really proud of herself, yeah? And back in 2018, I'll explain to you what happened in the business sense. This might help put it into perspective. I was with a friend and she was talking about her business. And the way she was talking about her business, I was like, oh my God, she's at least 50% ahead of me. And I was really like, man, um, you know, I really want to meet her. I really want to be at the level that she's at. And then it happened maybe two months later, for whatever reason, I actually got to see the data behind her business and realized she was at a quarter of where I was. I was way out in front. And it was like, holy shit, man. Here I am looking at someone else going, oh, you know, I wish I had her business. I wish I was where she at because I was interpreting what she was saying and her own experience of her business. Little did I know I was way out in front. And it's like for her, where she was at, that was her phenomenal. For me, it was actually well behind what I, where I wanted to be. And that was her experience and that was my experience. And it happened again um, this year just in terms of personality traits and listening to people speak about how they view themselves. And they might be like, you know, this is, this is how I perceive myself and this is my level of work ethic and yada, yada. 
And then it's like you see behind the curtain, it's like, you know, the Wizard of Oz, and you're like, what the fuck, you know? Um, <laughs> when I say that I am, you know, doing something diligently, or when I say I am doing it this way, it means X, Y, Z. But for this person, um, you know, it's actually not the standard that I'm holding for myself. And it's like um, any of my business mentoring mentees will know that I am often talking about uh, someone called Alex Hormozzi. If you're not in the business world, you would have no idea who he is, I don't think. Um, but he is someone who came up building um, launch structures for gyms and has now taken over the content creation world. Um, and I think he's like very... Um, very open about being on his way to a billion dollar business. I think is it like a couple hundred million right now. Um, but, uh, <clears throat> you know, his standards are ridiculously ahead of mine. So just say if I have an amazing business win and I'm really proud of myself um, for, you know, someone like Alex or Mosey to, to engage in the same, in the exact same win would be deflate, you know, potentially deflating. It'd be like, I've been there, done that 15 years ago, right? Um, so I just want to say when you're, when you're consuming social media, when you're hearing people relay, relay their experiences, just remember that the words they're using are all very relevant to them. So if they say they're nailing something, if they say they're smashing something, if they say something's not going well for them, you're going to interpret that through your own experience and make that mean something that, quite frankly, it may not mean for that person. And this is where it's really important that we continually focus on our own pro progress and stay in our own lanes because we are making stories up about everyone else and they're probably not true. So you might have some stories in your head about me. Um, whether it's positive, whether it's negative, whether it's like Amy works her ass off, Amy's a lazy fuck, who knows? There's going to be a plethora of of opinions on me and it's all through your own lens, <laughs> okay? So this is where you're like, holy shit, just say I'm watching a fitness influencer and she's just talking about how much progress she's making and she's smashing it um, and you're like, oh, I want that, I want that. And then you realize, actually, if I look at my own trajectory, I'm way out in front. You know, why was I longing after something that didn't even exist? I'd made that story up in my own head. So this is where it's really important if, you know, physique or performance progress, whatever kind of progress is important to you, as much as you can, the only person that is anything worth comparing yourself to is just a previous version of you. I think feel like that's a mic drop moment. So we're going to leave this podcast here. I hope you enjoyed it. If you wanted to chat to me about any of these topics, a cheat days, a reverse recovery dieting, flexibility, and social media, absolutely hop into my DMs. I always appreciate conversation. If you're watching on YouTube, chuck a comment in below. I love that. Give me a like. That would be amazing. All right, guys, that is it for today, and I will chat to you next week. 